Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 25. To give a human example, brothers, even with the man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say in two offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned under until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Good morning. Welcome, everyone. Uh, It's good to see you this morning. Glad you're here. Uh, My name is Dan, and I'm on the leadership team uh, here at Trailhead. And uh, if you're visiting with us uh, this weekend, um, thanks, for, thanks for joining us. We want to let you know that there's a, a gift for you um, out on the, uh, the Connection Point table, which is just outside the door and, and on the left. And we would love for you to, to take that uh, as a gift uh, to you if you're visiting with us. Um, and also, I just want to say this morning um, that uh, this weekend, as we, as we engage the holiday this weekend, that um, some of us maybe thinking about lost, lost loved ones or those you may have friends or, or loved ones um, that, uh, that have served our country and have given their lives for us. And we just want to say um, that we grieve with you uh, in that. And uh, if you would like someone to pray with you, uh, there'll be some leaders standing by the doors um, at the end of service. And also you can fill out the response card that's included in your, in your bulletin. The leadership team prays over those um, every week. And so we would love to, to join you uh, in that as we grieve together. Um, and also, I want to say thank you. Uh, thank you to our veterans that have, have served um, and are here this morning. So thank you for that. So this morning, we're, we're continuing our series on the book of, of Galatians. And our series is titled, uh, Fighting for Freedom. And so what is the fight uh, that we're talking about this morning? And the fight is about preserving the truth of the gospel and not distorting it or adding to it. The Galatians is a book written by the Apostle Paul to, to the early church at Galatia. And what he's doing here is he's addressing, he's confronting some untruths and distortions regarding how we obtain and how we receive restored relationship with God. And so I want to warn you this morning that as, as we dig into this, this passage um, in Galatians 3, that uh, it's going to be uh, somewhat technical, um, and it may not seem immediately practical, um, but I want you to, to hang with us this morning, because we believe that this is, this is important in, in growing in our understanding of, of who God is and how God in His Word uh, relates 
to us. And uh, also here at Trailhead, we want to be faithful um, to God's word. And so we're not going to just skip over uh, the hard stuff. We're going to actually engage it as well. And so this morning is going to be a little bit of a, of a technical passage, um, somewhat of, a, of an education session or a teachy, uh, teachy session. But before, before we go there, um, I just want to ask you guys a question. Uh, have you ever found yourself using a, a tool um, that wasn't necessarily the right, right tool for the, for the job, or maybe um, you're using it in a way that it wasn't actually intended for, using it for a purpose other than what it was, what it was made for. Um, like maybe using a, a butter knife to, uh, to loosen or, or tighten a screw, or maybe using guys using a pocket knife to clean, clean your fingernails. Um, and essentially, what you're, by doing that, you're using that tool wrong. You're, you're doing it wrong. Um, so I have some examples for us this morning. Fortunately, the, the Internet provides a, a plethora of, of material. Um, so sometimes it's, it's cute, um, but sorry, kid, you're, you're doing it wrong. Um, sometimes it's just unfortunate, and the thief comes and steals your bike and says, well, you, you did it wrong. Um, sometimes it's, it's downright dangerous, and uh, you just hope that... Uh, <laughs> that there's at least someone there saying, hey, guys, you're, you're, you're doing it wrong. Um, and sometimes it's just plain kind of, kind of dumb. Um, and uh, can you hear this, what this guy's wife may, might be saying or wanting to say to him? Um, yeah, sorry, dude, you're just, uh, you're just plain doing it wrong. Um, you see, all of the people in those images were trying to complete a task. They were trying to, to do something. Uh, with the tool or whatever it was that, that they had. Um, but they were going about it in the wrong way, okay? Going about it in the wrong way. And so in our passage this morning, Paul is, is talking to a young church, and there was something that they were essentially doing it wrong. Paul is addressing some, some false teachers who were advocating a, a distortion to the gospel, that you had to do more than simply believe in Jesus in order to obtain salvation, that you needed to, to believe, and then after you believed, you needed to get religious. Um, you needed to obey uh, certain rules. You needed to obey the law. And so what Paul is doing in, in Galatians and in our passage this morning is that he's, he's pleading with them. He's saying, guys, you're, you're doing it wrong. Um, see, the law wasn't given to help us grow closer to God. The rules weren't given to make God love us more. Okay? And if you use them in that way, essentially, you're doing it wrong. And so last week, uh, Steve introduced us to this guy named, named Abraham. And Abraham is a significant figure in, in redemptive history. Um, and especially important to the Jews. So you may have, have heard of him referred to as, as Father Abraham. And the reason he's important is because Abraham was the father of Isaac, who was the father of Jacob, who God later named Israel. And Israel would father 12 sons who would become the 12 tribes of Israel, so the nation, the nation of Israel. Um, and, and Abraham is also significant because God made a promise to Abraham. God made a covenant to Abraham. And a covenant is, is to put it simply, a covenant is a, a special agreement of, of relationship. 
It's about relationship. And so we refer to, to marriages and that relationship as a covenant relationship. And so God makes a promise. He makes a promise to Abraham. He tells Abraham that through his offspring that the nations would be blessed. And Scripture tells us that, that Abraham took God at his word, that he believed God. And because he believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. And now this, this covenant, this promise from God was especially important because it reveals a promise that runs throughout redemptive history. Okay? It's a continuation of a promise. A promise that started, that came after man's first sin. And so God, we know that God created the universe. He created the earth and everything in it. And he made it perfect and he made it good. And there was perfect harmony, perfect peace, perfect wholeness. But Adam and Eve chose to, to sin, to disobey God and to eat of the fruit that God commanded them not to eat of uh, after having been tempted by, by Satan, who uh, in the story is, is a snake. Okay? And so after Adam and Eve's first sin, we see God in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, we see God speaking to them, and he speaks to, to Satan. And he says this, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. See, this is the first promise that a deliverer would come to make things to make things right. And God would reiterate that promise throughout history. So he reiterated his promise to Noah. He reiterated his promise to Abraham. He reiterated his promise to David. But in God's, what we see in God's promise to Abraham, we actually begin to see the revelation of the heart of God's promise, the revelation of that of, of an inheritance, that not just that God would deliver us from sin, but that he would give us, there would be a, a, we would have a new heart, that there would be a new people in a new land, that God would restore creation and remove completely the effects of sin and the effects of the fall. Now, hundreds of years after Abraham, hundreds of years after that, God made another covenant, another promise uh, with the Israelites. And he, we call this promise the Mosaic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant. And it's because it was given to the Israelites through Moses. Okay, Moses, the, the Ten Commandments, um, if you guys heard of this guy. But in this covenant, okay, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, and he gave him what we call the law. And essentially the law is, was a list of, of rules and regulations. And those rules and regulations were about how we, we should relate to, to God, how the Israelites would relate to God, how would they relate to each other, and ultimately what to do when they had broken when they had broken those rules. And so the Jews, the Israelites, believed that in order to obtain uh, God's favor, in order to have relationship with God, that they needed to obey these rules, this law uh, that God had given him, them. And so there were certain things they needed to do. There are certain things that they, that they shouldn't do. Uh, and they believed that by obeying these rules, 
by obedience to the law meant that they would be righteous and they could obtain God's favor. So in our passage today, what Paul is doing is he's confronting some untruths and he's bringing clarity to the church in Galatia, to the Galatians, about how they can understand how these two covenants work and how they relate uh, to one another. He wants them to understand the two. And what he's essentially saying is he's saying, hey guys, you're, you're doing it wrong. The way you're understanding this, the way you're, you're applying it, uh, it doesn't work like you think it does. What you're doing is you're doing it wrong. Um, so let's dig into our passage this morning. Let's start at verse 15, if you would want to turn with me again. Just Galatians three fifteen it says to give a human example, brothers. Even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Okay, so here Paul is just pointing out that that once this covenant has been made, once this agreement has been ratified, okay, it's it's illegal to change it. That even for man, it's illegal to change the terms of what has already been agreed upon in, in a covenant. And so Paul is saying, okay, if it's, that's true for man, if that's true when two men, two women do this, how much more true is it between God and man and God upholding his commitment and his promise that he can't because he is perfect and holy and just, that God will never do that. He would never break that. He would never do something that would be illegal. He's perfect in his justice. So it's true, if it's true for man, it's also true for God in regards to keeping the covenant and not being able to change it. So let's look at, uh, continue on with verse 16. It says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Okay, so what's Paul talking about here? So in the covenant I mentioned with Abraham, God is making a promise He's making a promise to Abraham and to his offspring. And Paul puts uh, a lot of trust, puts his trust in the Old Testament scriptures, in the words there. And he makes a powerful case based on essentially one, one noun in the passage that reveals the, the promise to, to Abraham. And that noun is, is offspring and the fact that it is, it is singular. Okay? And what Paul is trying to get at here is that there is, there is one seed, Okay, God's promise was to a single seed, a single person. And Paul is saying that that person was Jesus. And then Paul also is addressing the fact that the, that the, the Mosaic covenant came later, that the Abraham, the covenant to him, the promise to him, it come first. And so the Mosaic covenant, which came later, doesn't void. It doesn't nullify the prior promise. Okay? What the Mosaic Covenant did was it came alongside the existing promise until the promised one 
would come. And so have you guys ever seen a picture of, of the arch before, before it, was, it was completed, when it was under construction? Um, I snagged a picture for us uh, this morning. Um, so this is the arch just before construction was, was completed. And you see there, there's a, a structure that was, has been added to it, uh, a bridge of sorts, that is joining together the two halves until it can be completed. And so it is preparing for the completion. But that piece was, that bridge was, was temporary. It was never meant to be there permanently. But once the full structure was complete, then that section uh, would be removed. So in a similar way to that, the law came in adding to the promise. It came alongside the promise. It didn't replace God's promise to Abraham, but it did temporarily add something to it. And to serve, in a sense, as a a backdrop, it would be another way to to put it. And I was talking with someone after the the last service, and they mentioned how a a jeweler, well, when they're looking and examining a a diamond, they will often put a piece of black material or black cloth behind it to serve as a a backdrop to actually bring out the brilliance of, of that diamond. And so there's a contrast there. And so the two points here to make is that, one, the law comes alongside the existing promise to prepare the way for the promise. And then the law is also going to serve as a backdrop to present a contrast to when the promised one, the promised one comes and how we'll receive salvation through him. So it sets up this, this contrast of sorts. Um, and what God is, is, will say through this, this contrast and through the law, is that he's pointing out that the one thing that's going to get a, one of the things that will get in the way of us receiving the promise will be our need and our desire to try and earn, to try to earn it. And God says, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you with the law that you can't earn it, that you can't earn my favor, okay? So he did it. He gave us the law to serve as a backdrop for the promise. Um, And see, it's important. It's important that we understand why the law was given. Because if we don't, if we don't understand it, we have the potential to use it in a way that God never intended. A way God never intended for us to use it. That we might think it was God's way of of giving us a, a guide how to live, to tell us how we should live, or how we can make God happy, or how we can improve ourselves, that that's what the law is for. Or maybe it's just how to, how to get to heaven. We want to use the law as our method for getting to heaven. And if we did that, we would be wrong. We would be wrong to use it in that way. And in a sense, we'd end up like the guy trimming his hedges with, with a lawnmower. Okay? We're doing it. We're doing it wrong. Um, so why, why did God give us the law? Why did he, why did he do it? Um, he didn't do it to show us how to make him happy, to show us how to, to please him, uh, how to get to heaven or how to improve ourselves. That's not why he gave it to us. But this is how the Israelites, this is how they understood it. This is how uh, they took it. And this is how sometimes many of us take it as well. But the truth is that when we do that that way, it honestly can ruin it can ruin our lives. But God gave us the law for one reason. And that reason 
was to prepare us for grace, to lead us to grace. Um, So let's dig into our passage this morning as we see that Paul actually asked this question of why did God give us the law? That's a rhetorical question, starting in verse 19 of Galatians 3. He says, Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Okay, so why then? Why then the law? It says it was added, added to the promise. Okay, added to the promise. So it's coming alongside. It's not removing, not nullifying the promise. There's a lot, a lot of meaning here in this. Um, but because of transgression, so another way to put it would be because of, of sin, because we have disobeyed God. So it was because of transgression. So let's look at a, another passage as we continue to explore this and, and unpack this. Um, I want us to look at Romans chapter 3, verse 20. And I've got this on a, on a slide for us this morning. Romans 3, this is also a letter written by Paul. It says, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Okay, so what do we, what do we see here? This morning, okay. So, justified just to, just to put it simply is a, is a legal term, and it basically refers. It means having right standing uh, before God, right standing before God. And this this passage tells us it says who will who will be justified through works of the law. How many will be justified by works of the law? It says no one, no one. Obedience to the law, doing the works of the law, no one will get God's favor through doing that, okay? Now, what is the function of the law? And this passage shows us the function is to reveal sin to us. The function is to point out the sin, to give us knowledge of sin, to help us see that our hearts are utterly rebellious against God. So it's kind of like an x-ray that shows us just how awful, how awful our hearts are that's the way the, the law works. It reveals our sin. Okay? But wait, it, it gets better. Okay? It gets better. It gets more interesting. Okay? Not only does the law reveal our sin, give us knowledge of our sin. Let's look at another passage also in Romans, a few pages to the right. Romans chapter 5, verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. Hmm came in to increase the trespass, to increase sin. God gave us the law to actually, when it came in, it increased our sin. So how does, how does this work? How does this work? Have any of you guys ever gone on a, on a diet or committed to, to giving up something that uh, was part of your, your routine? Uh, maybe it's giving up coffee. And then after you give that up, you want it all, all the more. And so you have to deal with everyone around you having, having coffee. Or maybe you give up uh, you know, food, and then what do you see on TV? Um, every other commercial is a commercial about, about food. So stirring, stirring that up, it makes you want it more and seeing it. Um, now, it also, the law would reveal sin that we didn't even know potentially existed. 
And so to give you a, a metaphor for this, I like to talk about um, there's this little bakery in Collinsville that I like to, uh, um, to, to go to. And at this bakery, they have this thing called a, a cheese horn, okay? And it's kind of like a cream horn. It's a pastry like, like a cream horn, um, that flaky pastry. But instead of putting cream in it, they actually put cheesecake in it, okay? So cheesecake in it, and then they put this awesome icing on top of it. Okay, and some of you are like, I didn't even know that existed. <laughs> I didn't know that was a thing. And like, you're ready to go get one right now. Okay, they're not open till Tuesday, but anyway. Um, so you didn't even know that existed. So the law can reveal, similarly, the law can reveal that to us and stir up, stir up sin. So because of our inclination to sin, because of the sin being in our heart and the, our innate desire to sin, thinking about sin can actually stir up our desires that are already in us. And so Paul actually explains this in, in another passage. And so we're going to flip over to Romans 7. Okay? Romans 7, verse 5, says, While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Okay, our sinful passions, the sin already in our hearts, was aroused, excited, stirred up by the law to produce what? To produce, to produce death. Awesome, right? Right? But wait, it gets better. Um, we're going to look. Uh, let's look back at our passage in, in Galatians, starting at verse twenty-two. See, Paul also informs us that not only does the law serve to, to give us knowledge of sin and to increase our sin, it actually serves as a prison. It's like a prison as well. Verse 22, it says, But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. See, the metaphor here, the metaphor that this is communicating is that we're like convicted criminals, okay? that we've been found guilty. And Scripture informs us that the penalty, the penalty for our sin is death. The consequence for our sin is death. Okay? How well do you think you would do at getting out of prison uh, on your own? How well do you think you could, you could do that? Do you think if you've been if you've been convicted and you were in prison because of a capital offense, do you think you're going to be able to just get out on, on good behavior? Just by on that, from that point forward, obeying the rules or being on good beha- behavior? No. No, that's not going to help you. And essentially what the law is doing is showing us, is showing us our sin and to help us see we can't fix it. Just like we couldn't get out of prison on our own. Okay? We can't fix it, that God is perfect in his holiness, perfect in his justice, and we are not. And so no level of obedience, no level of performance in relation to God's law, okay, no level of that could fix it, could fix it. Because see, the problem, the problem is in our hearts. The problem is in our motivations. And so the law tells us, here is your sin. Here's the condition of your heart. 
you can't fix it. And knowing our sin actually even makes the problem worse. And so we're stuck. We're convicted criminals that can do nothing but wait and hope for pardon. For pardon. And so I say all of that um, to point to the fact that God gave us the law because of sin. And because of our sinful hearts, the law actually increased our sin. And so talk about making the bad news worse. Okay? Shows us our sin, increases our sin, and puts us in, in prison, so to speak. So why did God do this? Because this sounds pretty awful. This sounds pretty awful that God would, would do this to us. See, he did it. He did it to awaken our need for grace. To awaken our need for grace by showing us and even increasing our sin. Increasing our sin. And God knew that, that one of the ways that this would, would play out, one of the ways that this plays out and our sin is revealed is honestly in the form of, of religion. In the form of religion. That God knew that we had we're prone to a religious heart. And God says, I'm going to give you this law knowing that you are going to use it in the wrong way. But even that, even in that, God is gracious to us. Because what's going to happen in that is we're going to get so fed up, we're going to get so tired of us trying to fix it, of us trying to measure up, us trying to live up to the rules and failing that we're going to realize we can't do it on our own. We can't. It's outside of our ability to do it. And God wants us to come to him and to see that he wants to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. That he wants to do it. That he is the one that will fix it. He wants us to look at him. And what he's saying is, guys, the way you're trying to do this, the way you're trying to approach me through works of the law and through obedience you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Don't work. God wants us to rest. Rest. Don't try to fix. He doesn't want us to fix ourselves. He wants us to come to him so that he can fix us. So don't try to earn what he has given to us as a free gift. Now, what I don't want to um, convey this morning or, or for this to be misunderstood is that uh, that I'm communicating somehow the law in itself is, is bad. The law isn't, isn't bad. We know that from Scripture, God tells us the law is holy. The law is just, okay? Because it is given to us from God, and God is our good Father, and God is holy, and God is perfect in His justice and righteousness. Okay? See, the law isn't the problem. The law isn't the problem. It's our hearts. It's our sinful hearts that are the problem. That when we try to add to the gospel with religion, when we try to add to the law, to the promise of grace, we try to do this and tell people that you have to do this or you can't do these things. What we're doing is we're stirring up sin, and that's deadly. That when we put ourselves under the law in order to obtain relationship and favor from God, we're choosing to live as captive slaves rather than redeemed and freed sons and daughters of God. And this is the heart of why Paul is so freaked out and so passionate as he addresses 
the Galatians. He addresses the false teachers that would come in and say, you have to add more to grace. By teaching the law and telling Christians that they have to obey it, they were putting themselves back under the law and subsequently back under the curse of death and stirring up sin in an effort to try and fix it. When God has promised us life through faith, so as we begin to, to wrap up this morning, I want to share with you a quote. Um, this quote's from C.S. Lewis, and he said this. He says, No man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. No man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. See, the law was given to us to show us, to show us that. Is God's way of saying to our religious hearts that we're doing it wrong. And God wants to say, let me show you. That God gives us a chance to fail, but to fail in a sense to fail forward. And that is grace. To know that we will fail our way to grace, that even in our failures, even in our failures, God wants to show us his graciousness and to show us his goodness. And so that rather than assert our own form of, of self-righteousness or trying to convey that we measure up and, and be prideful of the rules that we follow or the things that we don't do, rather than doing that or rather than, than wallowing in our failures, being blatantly aware of how we don't fail up and measure up and just, just giving up, rather than do that, God wants us to recognize his gift of grace through Jesus. So that when we've messed up, when we've done something wrong, we know that we can approach him. That there's grace for what we've done and the things that we haven't done that we should have. That there's grace for that. And before we close, I want to share with you another, go back to one of our prior passages. Uh, This is in Romans 5, verse 20. Let's read this again. It says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So what that's saying to us this morning is that sin is no match for grace. That where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Grace will always win. Always that no level of sin can outmatch God's rich grace. That God is merciful. That God is merciful, and he wants us to experience his grace. So some of us, see, when we come to God, we come thinking, oh, I've messed up again. I don't know if God's going to give me grace this time. That we may have the idea that God is, is going to withhold because we've been disobedient, because we haven't measured up. And we think God is going to withhold that grace from us. That God is going to withhold relationship from us. And God is saying, no, no. That God's mercy is great. That his grace is bigger than our sin. That the price Jesus paid, paid for all of our sin, past, present, and future. And God wants us to receive grace. And it's that grace, it's that restored relationship with God. It's us seeing that in spite of our sin, in spite of our brokenness, we are loved, we are delighted in, and we are cherished. That's what changes us. God changes us through that, through that relationship 
God changes us. It's not us coming, not fixing it and then going to God. It's going to God and then he fixes it. He changes us. So that's what I want us to, to hear this morning. That it's not about our works. It's about faith. It's about faith. It's about the promise of an inheritance through Christ that we get restored relationship with God through Christ. So it's not our works that give us God's favor. It's not faith plus our works, like the false teachers in our passage were trying to communicate in Galatians, that they were trying to communicate. It's simply faith. So God calls us to come to him, to believe, and to be counted as righteousness because of Christ and by putting our faith in him that Jesus died and rose again for our sin. So as we wrap up this morning, I want to leave you with a, with a few questions uh, to consider and to meditate upon. So the first is, where are you adding laws to God's grace? Where are you trying to add works in order to get God's favor? When God says, no, it's about faith and it's about grace. Where are you trying to add laws to grace? Next, where are you trying to perform where God is asking you to rest? Where is that place that you feel like you don't measure up and you're trying to fix it in order to win back relationship with God, to win back his favor? Where are you trying to perform in order to obtain God's favor when God is asking you to, to rest, to rest in his mercy? And then lastly, where is it this morning that, that you need grace? What is that thing in your, in your life that you feel um, because that's there, because maybe it's a habitual sin, um, whatever way it is that you feel like you don't measure up, where do you need to receive grace to believe, to believe God, to believe that he has grace for you? Where do you need that this morning? So in just a moment, we're going to, to take our offering. Um, and this is a chance for our members and regular tenders to, to give sacrificially as an act, act of worship. And we do this to continue to carry forward the message of the gospel, to continue to proclaim God's message of grace that we don't have to earn his favor. We need to simply believe, to believe in Jesus, to acknowledge our dependence upon, upon him. Um, if you're a guest with us this morning, I want to encourage you to fill out that response card that was included in your bulletin. Um, also, if you have a prayer request, we would love uh, to pray with you. Uh, the leadership team prays over those uh, every week. And so if there's something we can pray with you about, you can, you can write that on the response card and drop that in the, in the basket when it comes around. Um, so in just a few moments, we'll take, take our offering. And then after that, we'll also join in taking communion. Um, but first, let me, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your gift of grace to us. Jesus, I thank you that you were willing to to die for us, to do what, what we couldn't do for ourselves. Jesus, we thank you for your promise, your promise and commitment to us that you that you are faithful, that you know that we can't do anything to or to, to measure up but that you're not asking us to. You're asking us to believe. So help, help us, God, in believing. Whatever sin is in our lives, God, to acknowledge, to come to you for grace, to come to you for mercy, to recognize that we still have your favor, your delight, 
that you rejoice over us as your sons and daughters. God, that we already have your favor. And the obedience comes as a fruit of that, not as a requirement for it. So help us to understand this morning. Help us to see where we put laws in place of grace and how it affects how we view ourselves and how we view and treat others. Um, Help us to know your truth, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.